So I want to get into the Word today. Um, the Lord began to deal with me uh, a few a, a week or so before, um, maybe a couple weeks before we were closed uh, during that time, the 14-day period we were closed uh, due to uh, Angie and I both having uh, COVID. We thank you for your prayers for us and thank the Lord that we delivered uh, and recovered. And uh, so we were delivered and recovered. And I'm going to talk to you about deliverance. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and and watch that uh, video archive of the sermon. Uh, I'm going to give you some background today because I, I am preaching a three-part sermon series on deliverance. So last week we talked about, I opened the service, or the message rather, last week, uh, talking to you about a pastor whose ministry that I follow in Oklahoma. He's not a famous pastor by any imagination. He is uh, pastors of medium-sized church, three to 400 people. Uh, but he is a great man of God, and I, I love to follow his ministry and, and listen to the messages he delivers. And he said something several weeks ago from his pulpit. This is, this is recently, just, just several weeks ago. It talked about the condition and the situation of our world that we live in today. And, and his remark was, as a pastor, the load has become so heavy. And last week I talked about how that in uh, Exodus chapter 2, we find that 430 years of harsh slavery had culminated in the desperate cry for deliverance from God's people, from the children of Israel. An old-time preacher by the name of Vance Havner, who I have quoted before and threw his picture up on the screen in quotes, he may have said it best when he said this. I want you to listen to the wisdom in this quote. He said, the tragedy, and I believe this is applicable today, he said, the tragedy of our time is that the situation is desperate, but the saints are not. The real tragedy is that our situation is desperate, but the saints of God are not. Let that sink in today. So I challenged you last week that we must once again allow desperation. That's what we talked about last week, desperation. Not despair, not despondency, not disappointment, not any of those things, but desperation. There is a difference. We must allow it again to rise up in us so that we too will cry out to God for freedom and change. Can anybody else uh, agree? Does anybody else agree with me this morning that the world that we live in needs deliverance? Does anybody agree with that? We need deliverance. Why, Why is that important? See, in the account in Exodus chapter 2, we are told, and that was our passage of Scripture last week, that, that God's people cried out in desperation to God. And that cry caught God's attention. The, the Bible actually said that their cry rose up to God. That's what the Word said. And He heard their groaning. And then the Bible said that He remembered His covenant promise to them. And I gave you the, the football illustration last week of holding on to the promises of God. And the Bible said that when he, when he heard their groaning, their cry rose up to Him. And when He heard their groaning, He remembered that covenant promise that He made to them. And the Word said He was moved to take action. And I want us as the people of God to become so desperate because I have learned that one cry that God always responds to is His people's cry for help. One cry that God always responds to is His people's cry for help. And He may not come in the way that we want Him to, 
But he will come and he will respond when his people are desperate enough to cry out for God's intervention for help. But it is this response that produces another dilemma that I think we need to, we must, as the church, not just this church, but as the church, we must address this dilemma. And that is, in order for us to find the freedom from self-destruction, because many of God's people have become self-destructive. We have destructed our own selves. In order for us to be free from depression and anxiety, and I've never seen a time like it is in the church today that God's people, not the world, God's people are anxious and depressed. If we're ever going to be set free from that depression and that anxiety and from financial bondage and from gluttony and from anger and hatred and even racism, or any other imprisoning force that we may face, we got to first learn to deal with this dilemma. And so one of the dilemmas that we will address today is going to be the one of the two that I believe is hardest to navigate. But it's essential for us to settle this one if we're truly going to experience the freedom that God has. And that is the dilemma of deliverers. That's a person. That's people. Deliverers. We're going to talk about them today. And before we get into our main text, I want to share something else with you that they're not going to put on the screen. But the fact is, in order for most people to be free, they have to be led to freedom. As you read through this book and you see the people that God used to lead others to freedom, you'll find story after story, account after account of people that God used to lead others to freedom. And we've got to forsake our own preferences and our own devices so that we don't comfortably settle into our own bondage. I believe the church of God as a whole has comfortably settled in to states of bondage. You know, sometimes we'll take short plunges into desperation and momentarily become desperate enough to cry out to God, but then... When uh, the pain of our own bondage rises back to the surface, then we become apathetic, we become distracted, and ultimately we become unwilling to pay the price. See, there's a price to be paid for the anointing of God. There's a price to be paid for the anointing that breaks the yoke that sets others free. And There's a boatload of other things that will push us back to where we become compliant and ultimately complacent. With our own bondage. That's why in this book, and they're not going to put this one on the screen. Just listen to me. I want to share it with you this morning before we get to the main text. But in Hebrews chapter 10 and 25, here's what the word said. Now, I know what kind of condition our world is in this morning, even as I speak. But listen to what the word says. He says, we are encouraged to think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. We are not encouraged to fight, argue, and bicker about our differences. Can I get an amen? We are encouraged to think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And then he goes on to say, and let us not neglect our meeting together. See, I'm thankful for live stream this morning. 
But if you're still watching live stream and you've never returned to the house of God, I want to tell you, I want to testify to you this morning. Live stream is good, but there is nothing that takes the place of us assembling ourselves together in the house of God. Nothing. Nothing. God did not attend. I even read the other day, and I'll get... I'll get off the subject so I won't stay there long. But I even read the other day of a newly founded exclusively online church that you don't ever have to attend. They don't ever want you to attend. There's not a building anywhere. They just want you to watch and give. And yes, that may be an avenue. Online, live stream may be an avenue to reach the lost. But online and live stream will never take the place of what the Word of God told us to do. And that is for the people of God to enter into the house of God corporately to lift up the name of Jesus. Why? Because God said in His Word, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men. I'll draw them in. I've seen the Spirit of the Lord draw them in the door and draw them to the altar but it takes the people of God assembled together lifting up the name of God but the word said let us not neglect our meeting together as some do but encourage one another God help us be a people of encouragement especially now he said the writer said that the day of his return is drawing near I know you've heard it preached all your life but I want to promise you this morning the day of his return is surely drawing near the writer knew that in order for us to have freedom we must be motivated we got to be pushed some people don't like that terminology when you hear somebody say we want to push you into the presence of God this morning can I tell you the best thing we can do as God's people when we get lost people in the building is to through the spirit realm push them into the presence of God because it's in the presence of God where the depressed will find fullness of joy it's in the presence of God where the sick will find healing for their body it's in the presence of God where the chains of sin and bondage begin to just fall off at the presence of God and those that are bound can come in the door bound but go out the door free it's in the presence of God where lives are changed homes are restored Stored. Bodies are healed. Souls are saved. And people are filled with the infilling of the Spirit in the presence of an almighty, living, real God. Oh, I came to tell you this morning, we need to push people into the presence. We need to push ourselves into the presence of God because God's presence will always make the difference. We need to be drug out of our despair in the church needs to be kicked out of our comfort zone. So let me state this clearly before we dive into the difficulty that the children of Israel face that day and that we now face. Here's what a deliverer is. Before we read the text. Deliverers are divinely appointed individuals. They are not perfect people. But they are divinely appointed individuals who are not willing to settle for anything less than the fullness of the promise that God has for us. These individuals are willing to pay the price to be free themselves and to see others led to freedom. So I want us to go back to a story you know very, very well. If you'll stand with me all over the room, we're going to read eight verses. In the book of Exodus chapter 3, first of all, verses 1 through 4, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Here's what it says. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. 
He led the flock far into the wilderness, and he came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't this bush burning up? I I must go and see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of that bush. And he said, Moses, Moses. Moses replied, here I am. Drop down to verse 7. Then the Lord told him, listen, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Oh, it's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's the land where the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, God says, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. And I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. But then he said, now go. Watch this. For I, God, am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people out of Egypt. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning, part two of this series. We're going to talk about deliverers. If you will, stretch your hands toward heaven. Pray with me and for me. Father, thank you for your word today. Anoint these lips of clay to speak your words and not my own. God, anoint the ears of your people to hear today and their hearts to receive. Speak to us today, O God. Lord, that not only are you seeking to deliver, Lord, those that are bound, but God, you're seeking to raise up deliverers in this hour that will lead men, women, boys, and girls to the foot of the cross of Calvary, that will draw in, God, those that are lost and that are hurting and that are oppressed in a desire, Lord, and a desperation to see them set free by the power of the Almighty God. We give you the thanks for what you're going to do in and through your word today in advance. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. In this story, Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, who was his father-in-law. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. And he came to Sinai, or another place in the Bible called it Horeb, the mountain of God. And the Bible said that it was there that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from inside a bush, inside a shrub, flames of fire appeared to him. But yet he was looking at that bush, but it didn't burn up. So Moses thought, i got to go over here and see what's going on with this bush. Why is this bush on fire, but it doesn't look like it's burning up? And when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look at the bush, the Lord spoke to Moses out of the bush. And he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I, Lord. And the Lord said, Listen, I have seen the misery of my people. I have heard their cry 
because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. See, the enemy likes to make you think a few things about God, and that is God doesn't see, God doesn't know, and God doesn't care. But I want to tell you something this morning. The devil may think God doesn't see, but God sees. The devil may think that God doesn't know, but God knows. And he wants to make you believe that God doesn't care. But I came this morning to tell you, that's why the Word said, cast all your care upon Him, because He cares for you. Is anybody glad this morning to know no matter what you may face, no matter what you may go through, no matter what kind of condition or what kind of world we find ourselves living in, God sees, God knows, and God cares. And so the Bible said that he heard them crying out because they're slave drivers and he was concerned about their suffering. And so it said, he said, I've come down. I have come down. To rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land into a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. It's the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And he says, and now the cry of the Israelites, they were the children of God. The cry of the children of God has reached me, God said. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, go. That's what he said to Moses. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, let me point out some things quickly about Moses. First of all, if you know much about Moses' background, Moses, you'll remember, he is the guy that sees one of the Egyptians beating an Israelite, a slave. An Israelite slave. And so Moses is the guy who intervenes and he kills that Egyptian. That was Moses. He wasn't perfect. However, the Israelites rejected Moses because although he was an Israelite, he grew up in Pharaoh's palace. So they really didn't see him as one of them. So here in this situation, now think about this. We have Moses who is unwanted by either side. And because he's unwanted by either side, the Bible says that he flees to the desert where he begins to shepherd the flocks of his future father-in-law's sheep. And it's on the back side of that desert situation that God calls out to Moses to be the deliverer for the children of Israel in this burning bush is where God speaks to him. So last week we read how that Israel, the children of God, cry out to God for deliverance in chapter 2 and then God speaks to Moses in chapter 3. The children of God cry out to God, and then God speaks to the deliverer. And that cycle repeats itself over and over again throughout the Word of God. So here is the first dilemma that we face today, and that is that God uses representatives. God chooses people to not perfect people, but people. To represent himself. And this account in the Bible, including every account that follows, even up to Jesus Christ himself in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this reveals to us that God uses representatives. And this created an issue because the dilemma the Israelites had was that they had a hard time identifying and recognizing Moses as their deliverer. So when he shows up on the scene, what did they do? They rejected him. 
The same thing happened many, many years later on in the Gospels when Jesus showed up on the scene. What happened? The people rejected him. See, we cry out to God for help. We want freedom, but we also want God to speak directly to us. We, we say things like, give me a word, God, when he's already given you the word. We want to chase around after somebody else. Let them give me a word. Or better yet, we, we run around after people who call themselves self-proclaimed prophets. Let me put it like that. And we're always looking for somebody to give us a word. And what we fail to understand is that the truth is, most of the time, by the time we're crying out to God for help, God has already been speaking to our deliverer. We expect God to send a deliverer after we're trapped, but we miss that sometimes God positions the deliverer before we ever got trapped. I want you to consider Joseph. Psalms chapter 105 and verse 16 and 17 said this, He called for a famine in the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt. What's it say? Ahead of them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave. God had already sent the deliverer before he allowed the problem to get there. I need you to hear your pastor this morning. God, you may feel like, God, how did I get here? Don't you worry and don't you fret. God already knew about that long before you ever got there. And not did God only know about it, but God already prepared the way. God already made the deliverer. God already called you to the scene because God goes before you. What's the song say? He goes before me. Beside me, behind me, God already went to where you're at. God already knows and God's already made a way for you to be delivered from what you're worried about. See, some of us are waiting for freedom to show up. But freedom was there before you ever got trapped. You just haven't recognized that there's a deliverer in your life yet. And see... Our issue is that we have a hard time identifying our deliverer. So when Moses shows up on the scene, we reject him. I wonder how many of us have actually rejected deliverance because we didn't like the deliverer that deliverance showed up in. Sister, don't worry, don't get offended. I'll get to the brothers in a minute. But sister, could it possibly be that while you're crying out to God, God's already spoken to your husband about the deliverance? Surely not. I promise you, if God can speak through a donkey, he can use your husband. Brother, could it possibly be, this is a hard pill for some of us guys to swallow, that while you're pleading for help, God has already given your wife a word because she's been in her prayer closet. Teenagers, could it possibly be, I mean, just, just indulge me for a moment, could it possibly be that while you're wrestling with depression and anxiety and self-worth and trying to find your place in this world, could it possibly be that God has already given you a parent 
that knows the way out of those traps that the devil has set for you. Oh, I know they're old fogies and we don't know anything, but could it possibly be that they've already been where you've been and God has placed them in your life as a voice of reason and they know the situation you're facing and if you'll listen, they can tell you how to get out of it. Brothers and sisters, could it possibly be, those of you in this room and watching online today, that while you are suffering in silence, God has set someone right next to you that has traveled the same path and knows the way to freedom. Could it possibly be? See, I believe it's about revelation more than it's about release. It's about us realizing that God has sent a deliverer. So maybe if we shifted our prayers from deliverance to praying for our deliverer, and for our, our ability to recognize that person, maybe we would find that we would begin to see deliverance become a reality. How many times does freedom break through and revelation show up in a package that we can't digest? Now, I know it's going to get quiet. I told him at 845 I knew it would, and I'm okay with that. But could it be that our freedom will come packaged with a different sound, with a different volume, maybe with a different method or presentation. Could it be that our freedom will come in a different way than we have always stereotyped the deliverer? Could it be that our freedom will come wrapped up in a young boy with freckles? Or could it possibly be that it comes with somebody with wrinkles? Oh, let me preach just a moment. I know that we need to allow our young people to think independently. I agree with that. But I'm a little bit concerned of what kind of world my grandchildren are going to try to raise children in. If we don't draw the line somewhere, if we don't once again become rationally aligned with the Word of God. I wonder where this world is going to be. Listen to me, young people, I'm going to hit you again because I know that you like to think that sometimes the elders in the church are old fogies or, or maybe even me. I mean, I'm 44 now and I know I've been told uh, I'm, always behind the, I'm always behind the eight ball on the cool words. By the time I knew what lit meant, they told me to stop saying it. That you weren't supposed to say that anymore. It wasn't, it wasn't current anymore. So I'm always behind the eight ball on that stuff. I know I'm not hip. I know that some you think that some of our elders are, are just old fogies and they don't know anything. But let me tell you something that I've realized. You may think that, but every time I read the Word of God, I, I can't get past the fact that the Word of God teaches us that we're supposed to let the elder teach the younger. I think there's a reason for that because the elder has been where you have walked before. They've already already made the mistakes. They already know the deliverer. And if you'll just listen to the advice that they have. Oh, and I know. I know you think you already know it all. I know you think that, that you're already making your own decisions. And, and, and we look at things. We're just sticklers that, that, that stick with all these biased uh, platforms and all these biased thoughts. And, and, and we're just, we just, we're not open-minded. We're not open-minded. We're closed-minded old fogies. I'm 44, I ain't no old fogey. But you think we're closed-minded old fogies 
know. It's just some of us know what the Word of God says. And what the Word of God says is what the Word of God means. And the Word of God said that we're supposed to let the elder teach the younger because they've been there. They've already prayed through about it. Maybe they even already made the mistake and they're trying to help you not to make the same mistake. That's why the Word of God says to let the elders teach the younger. I'll move on from that. This one may be a little harder to digest. Could it possibly be that our deliverer might show up in the pulpit? I'm not talking about myself. But it wouldn't matter if I was. I'm talking about anybody. Could it be that our deliverer might show up in this pulpit wearing blue jeans, a t-shirt, and tennis shoes? Or, I know, young people, God forbid, could he show up wearing a suit and tie? I wonder how many times, I wonder how many rejected rescuers and deliverers that we have missed because we failed to recognize them as God's representative. I'll tell you something this morning. There's so many debates, and I'm not talking about this church. Please understand that. I'm talking about the worldwide church. But there's so many debates in the church today. It ain't no wonder that lost people don't know if they want to try to be saved people. I want to tell you, we've got all these things. Oh, I prefer the lights up. Oh, I prefer the lights to be dimmed. I prefer that we sing off the screen. No, I prefer that every once in a while we pull out the red back hymnal. I prefer that we sing the old songs. I like them old songs. They get down in my bones. Or I prefer that we sing those new songs. I like the new worship. That old stuff is I don't even know where it came from. I prefer that, prefer that the preacher wear uh, jeans and a t-shirt and tennis shoes and look comfortable so we all look comfortable and feel comfortable. I prefer that, prefer that the preacher wear a suit and tie. I prefer this. I prefer that. I'm going to tell you, I don't care what you wear as long as you're decent. I don't care if we sing off the wall or out of the red back hymnal. I don't care if it's an old song or if it's a new song. I don't care if we dim the lights in the house or if we pull the lights up. What I do care about is that the anointing and the presence of God is on it because people need to be set free. And the only way to be set free is to get them in His presence. So we better come to grips with the fact that God uses representatives to set us free. And they don't all look the same. They don't all act the same. They don't all dress the same. He'll use the young. Yes, I believe he will. And he'll use the old. He'll use the dressed up. He'll also use the dressed down. He'll use the educated, but he'll also use the uneducated. The reality of the matter is this. God's representatives do not have to meet your standards. God's representatives do not have to meet your standards. And that goes both ways. You don't have to feel like you're unworthy and can't meet the standard to serve as one of God's deliverers because of the grace of God. We'll talk about that in a minute. I want you to consider David. And I'm not far from being done today. This is not a long message. I want you to consider David. David was the youngest and the smallest in stature of all of the house of Jesse. Uh, I believe there were, he had eight other brothers, I believe, or he made number eight. I can't remember. But nevertheless, David also wasn't perfect. He was the runt of all the boys, and he also wasn't perfect. As a matter of fact, now listen to me, David, who killed Goliath, David, the man after God's own heart, as a matter of fact, at one point in his life, 
He had a bad reputation because everybody knew David had had an affair. He wasn't perfect. So we better come to grips with the fact that God will sometimes use unlikely representatives to accomplish His work. God's representatives don't have to meet our self-righteous criteria. Quite honestly, we will miss His representative if we aren't careful and we are too quick to judge because a lot of times God will use the most unlikely people to get the job done. You know, I said in the 845 service, and I want to say it again, if you weren't here last week at 845, the Spirit of the Lord spoke with the gift of tongues and interpretation. And I know we have a lot of people who watch us uh, online in the community that maybe, and maybe even some who attend the church that don't fully understand the gifts of the Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit and how they operate. And I probably need to do some more teaching on that. But I want to say this. I was so thankful uh, last week and I personally told uh, the people who obeyed the Lord that I thanked them for their obedience because here's where we are in the church today. A lot of people won't obey the Lord because of a lot of other people saying, oh, was that really God? Was, was, was that really God? Look at him, the way he worships. Look at him. The, he, I saw him the other day, and, and he, got, he got so mad, and he was angry over something. And then look at him, the way he's up there worshiping. Uh, look at her. Look at the way that, that she's dressed. Look at, look at how she's acting. She didn't even speak to me today. I know God didn't speak through her. She didn't even speak to me today. We get up in our own self-righteousness. And we have criticized our own kind. We have become spiritual carnivores and ate on our own people. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church to the point that people are afraid to obey God and His Spirit for fear of what somebody else will say. But yet when I read through this Bible, I find that God many times will use the most unlikely people to get the job done. Let's talk about Jacob. Did you know that Jacob was a cheater? I ain't going to go there. Jacob was a cheater. Did you know that Peter had a temper? Peter. Same man that in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying and they come for him to take him away. Peter got so mad that he took out his sword and he cut off, sliced off the ear of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. And yet, Peter is the same guy that you find preaching on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 souls were added to the church. Don't tell me God doesn't overlook a temper if you have a repentant heart and he won't use you if you're willing. Noah, consider Noah, you know, the guy who built the boat that saved the world from the flood. Oh, some of you true church of God to the bone people are going to choke on this one. Noah got drunk. He did. You know, I said in the first service that I wasn't going to go there. And Angie's sitting on the front row right now saying don't do it. She don't even know where I'm going. And I said I wasn't going to go there because, because I know we have a lot of officials in our movement who I love and respect highly. And our movement's been going on for many, 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 many years since before 1900. Right around the early 1900s is when we really got going strong. But, you know, we take this strong stance, strong stance. And we believe in the abstinence of alcohol as a beverage. But yet, 
many times as Pentecostal people, we're some of the hatefulest, meanest, hardest people to deal with on the face of the earth. Can I get an amen? Oh, I didn't get many amens. Jonah, all you COGers, I'm the one myself, but I'll give you relief. Let's move on. Jonah ran from God, ran from him, but yet God still used him to deliver Nineveh. 144,000. Paul, the greatest man you'll ever read about in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, greatest man you'll ever read about. Paul was a murderer. Not only was Paul a murderer, do you know who he liked to kill? Christians. Those were the ones that he sought after. But yet look at how God used the Apostle Paul. How did that happen? I'll tell you how that happened. God struck him down on the road to Damascus. God, I said God struck him down. God hit him so hard that he went down one man and came up another. Some of y'all so tore up, you can't even sleep at night right now just wondering who's going to have control or what it's going to be like. I ain't the least bit concerned about who's going to have control because my trust ain't in chariots or horses and my trust ain't in men. I'm trusting in the Almighty God who He's the one who raises up princes and He's the one that tears them down. And God, regardless of who thinks they're in control, just like the Apostle Paul, God is a God that can strike down one man that's destroying the world and and turn him around and use him for his glory. That's the God we serve. Gideon was insecure. He struggled with his self-worth, yet God used him. Now, Miriam, I've determined, she must have been a Pentecostal because she was a gossip. Not only was she a gossip, she was a tambourine-playing gossip. She must have been a Pentecostal. Martha was a worrier. She worried about everything. Do I have any transparent worriers in the audience, in the congregation today? I see some hands. She worried about everything. I want to tell you, if you haven't, if you don't watch the devotions by uh, Sister Karen Wheaton that she puts out on social media, I encourage you to do that. Guys, she is a little bit more geared toward the women, but still, nonetheless, the word that she shares always feeds my soul. And she said something this week that really resonated with me. She said, when we talk about waiting on the Lord, she said, waiting on the Lord doesn't look like, oh, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord and waiting on Him. She also said, waiting on the Lord also doesn't look like, oh my goodness, I'm waiting on the Lord. I don't know if he's coming, but I'm waiting. I'm waiting on him. I'm, oh, I'm waiting on the Lord. Will he show up this time? That's not what waiting on the Lord looks like. When somebody important's coming to your house, or maybe somebody important's coming to your place of business, you first of all, you make yourself presentable. You make the area that you're in presentable, whether it's your house or your place of employment. You get everything together, and you keep an eye out, keep a watch out, because you want things to look good and just right when the Lord shows up. So you keep watching. So here's what waiting on the Lord looks like. 
It looks like no matter how bad the situation is or the reason that you're waiting on the Lord, you're looking up and you're saying, well, I'm waiting on the Lord. Could today be the day that he shows up? I got my eyes looking upward. I know he's on his way because he told me in his word that he'd never leave me and he'd never forsake me. So I'm just down here waiting on God to show up. I'm not worried. Oh, I know it looks like this. I know what they're saying about that. I know what the situation looks like, but I'm not worried. I'm waiting on God because God's going to show up. And when God shows up, everything on the scene will change. I'm just waiting on the Lord. That's what waiting on God looks like. Thomas was a doubter. You got some people in the church, you got to prove everything to them. I mean, Thomas had to stick his hand in his wounds in his side just to believe. That's a lot of doubt. Now, Sarah, there's some of you in the house probably today. Sarah was impatient. You know, Dennis Cooper's still recuperating from surgery, and he's at Sarah and Michael Delft's house. And Michael may be in trouble today because in the 845 surface, he commented on the live stream and said, Yes, Sarah is impatient. That's his wife. Pray for Michael today. But Sarah was impatient. Now, Elijah was probably Pentecostal too because Elijah was moody. He's mad one moment and anointed the next. You know what? I had a pastor one time that said it like this. Somebody used to always wonder. We had somebody in the church who sometimes could be, I'm just going to be honest with you, could be just as, and this is when I was growing up in church, could be just as mean and hateful and as ill-tempered as they could possibly be to you sometimes. And then you let a good service going good. And, I mean, they just shout and dance in the spirit. And, I mean, it just looks so pretty and so anointed. And it looks so real. You just had to be honest. You just kind of scratched your head. And you're like, how on earth does that happen? And you know what our pastor said? Because he had people that questioned him. I wasn't one, but I knew a lot about what he was talking about because he got pretty specific with the situation. And he said, you know what I've learned over the years? He said, I've learned that in the amount of time that you spend trying to figure out how that can happen, all that person had to do was say, God, forgive me. And it was forgiven like that. We spend too much of our time trying to analyze how God can use somebody. Zacchaeus was like Nicholas. He was a little on the short side. I love him, but I love to pick on him too. Listen to me, young people. David was young, but Abraham was old. God used both of them. And Lazarus, don't worry. Those of you that had somebody tell me this week that they love to watch our live stream, they're of a different denomination, and, and that's wonderful. And I love their pastor and their church. I know them well. And, and uh, they said, you know, I've belonged to this church for years, and I love the church, and I love my pastor, but uh, they're, they're a little more reserved, and you all are a little more upbeat and energetic. I said, well, thank you, but not all of us are. Some of us are like Lazarus, but God uses dead people too. Amen? God raises up dead people too. What's your point, Pastor? Here's my point. God will use whomever he chooses to use, and God doesn't choose the qualified. God qualifies the chosen. Lastly, deliverance is usually derailed by our preferences, and I'm going to hurry this morning. The children of Israel, after enduring this bondage for 430 years, y'all can go ahead and come to the music, they almost missed their deliverance because of their preferences. They preferred, it was their preference not to follow Moses. You see, Moses was one of them, but he really wasn't one of them in their opinion. He, he had another issue, too, that they didn't prefer, and that was that Moses stuttered. 
he didn't have real good speech. And so, uh, but here's the reality. He wasn't perfect, but he was placed and present. See, some of us want perfect deliverers, but God typically sends people who are flawed but favored, who are placed and present. See, that preference thing is a two-way street. Some of you don't prefer the deliverer that God has sent you. But however, on the other hand, like Moses, some of you are called. Some of you are called. Some of you are called to deliver the people in your house, in your neighborhood, in your place of employment, or maybe on the, on the same row that you're sitting in, but you would just prefer to decline. See, you've allowed the fact that maybe you're timid or you lack self-confidence to cause you to refuse to step up. So you begin to make excuses for why you can't be a deliverer. But I want to tell you this morning or this afternoon now, your preference to remain still and silent and always waiting on somebody else to act could be keeping folks in prison. It could be keeping folks in bondage. I told him this morning, I want to tell you, there's a proper way to obey the Lord in the church, and I always love it when somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, the Lord's dealing with me. Can I share something? And when they have that attitude and it's not a takeover spirit, I say, yes, absolutely. And I give them a microphone and I pray for them while they speak. But I don't know how many times some of those people that have done that have told me they stood there and they sat there and they said, God, if you really want me to do this, let them sing that one more time. Let him say that one more time. Let there be one more opportunity. And then God makes a way for that opportunity. And they say, okay, God, if you really want me to do that, let him do it one more time. And I wonder how many times we have allowed other people to sit in bondage because we failed to respond to the speaking of the Spirit in our heart and in our lives. Our own preferences sometimes become our strongest prison. We let our preferences get away, get in the way of our freedom. Our desire for control keeps us constrained. Let me say something to us today. You can either have freedom or control, but you cannot have both. You can either have freedom or control, but you cannot have both. you got to choose. Some of you may be sitting right next to your deliverer right now. But maybe you've dismissed it because they have issues. Because they didn't fit your preconceived ideas of what the Moses should look like. You throw their advice away as if it were them talking. You refuse to follow their lead. And some of us are missing deliverance because we prefer to it. We prefer for it to come to us in a different way. And others of us, we are the deliverers that are refusing to step up. You're waiting on God to use somebody else. But God wants to use you. What did God say to Moses? Now go, I am sending you. Listen, it's not about preference. It's about pardon. This isn't about what we desire. It's about deliverance. It's time to agree with whatever method and whatever messenger God chooses to use that will march us out of bondage and into freedom. So stand with me all over the room this morning or this afternoon. I want to ask you a question. Do you need to be free today? Maybe God is using an unlikely deliverer to lead you to that freedom. My friend, please, please, don't dismiss the voice of reason. 
you've wrestled with that thing or that situation long enough, stop asking, when is God going to move? And realize, He may have already sent the deliverer your way, and you are failing to recognize it. God may be speaking through me. An unlikely deliverer. An unlikely representative this afternoon to lead you to freedom today. Aren't you tired of being bound? Aren't you weary of being bound today? Would you like to experience the rest that freedom brings? You can if you'll respond to God and His Word. And lastly, I'm going to close with this. Maybe, just maybe, some of you need to lead somebody else to freedom. Maybe God's wanting to use you, but you keep dismissing it because you feel like an unlikely representative, an unlikely deliverer. But God wants to use you. I said it one time, let me say it again. He does not choose the qualified. He qualifies the chosen. But you got to step up to the plate. you got to allow Him to use you. Listen, church, somebody else's deliverance could be dependent upon your obedience. Somebody else's deliverance could be dependent on your obedience. Is there anybody in the house today that's willing to make yourself available to God and His service? Anybody who will say, here am I, Lord, use me. Here am I, God, send me. Here am I, Lord, anoint me. Because I can promise you, if you do that, He will. If you do that, He will. You are His representative. And because you are His representative, you might just be somebody else's deliverer. I'm going to pray and in just a moment. They're going to sing and I want to invite you. If you say today, I've wrestled with something long enough, I want to be free. Or if you say, God, here I am. I want you to use me. I want you to send me. I want you to anoint me. If you want to slip on your mask and come up front and pray this morning, I completely invite you to do that. If you want to pray at your seat, I invite you to do that. But let me share this quote from Corey Ten Boom with you, and then I'm going to pray, and they're going to sing, and then this altar's open. Here's what Corey Ten Boom said. She said, I am content to be the donkey that carries Jesus to the masses. <laughs> A donkey is an unlikely an unlikely representative, right? But Corey Ten Boom said, I'm content to be the donkey that just carries Jesus to the masses. God wants to use some of you today. God wants to raise up some deliverers in this house and online today. God wants to use you to carry Jesus to the masses. Father, we come to you today in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you for your word, God. So Lord, I pray right now as we open this altar that if there are people in this room that are bound or people watching live stream that are bound, they say, I'm weary and I'm tired of the battle. I want us freedom from this situation. That God, they'll come forward. They'll give it to you today.